Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, it's one of the key metrics for how well a country is doing. GDP looks good, we all know that, but it's based on working longer, not smarter. It's the old productivity debate where we've never really been all that productive, have we? But productivity can be a quite opaque, confusing concept. New Zealand's migration policies might be contributing to the current poor state of national productivity. This is according to a new report. The chair of the Productivity Commission, Murray Sherwin, says a universal basic income would cost more than New Zealand can afford. New Zealand is a very different place to 40 years ago. You know, in 1976, about one in four Kiwis worked in manufacturing, and now that's only about one in ten. One thing we definitely know is that, on the whole, New Zealand isn't doing as well as it probably should be. New Zealand's productivity performance is not looking too flash. Our productivity growth has averaged just 1% in the last 10 years. The government has launched an inquiry into New Zealand's mysteriously weak levels of productivity growth. The Productivity Commission will investigate the economic contribution of the country's top companies and it's being asked to come up with policies which could help those firms' innovations spread to other New Zealand companies. So why is this? What are the benefits of high and growing productivity? And how are changing sensibilities around how productivity should be measured making life difficult for those tasked with measuring it? Should other metrics like well-being be included? Ganesh Nana is an economist by trade. He worked at the consultancy and think tank Burl from the late 90s. But now he's the newly appointed chair of the Productivity Commission. It's been a big change for me, uh, although I expected it. I, I suppose I've never worked in anything that's remotely uh, related to a public service or a government department, and I'd stress that the Productivity Commission is neither, but there is an element of, I, I suppose, working uh, inside the tent rather than being an observer from outside. Productivity is not just uh, something for policy wonks in Wellington to to be concerned about, and it's not just for the business sector to be concerned about, or even economists. It is important that all New Zealanders understand just how important productivity is. What is Productivity. Well, um, without getting too technical, it's a measure of what we get out given what we put in. So um, I suppose the gardening metaphor is always useful, I find. If we've got a hectare of land or even just our back garden and we plant it with carrots, productivity is a measure of the number of carrots we get out every year out of that piece of land. And um, if we put more and more effort into it and plant more and more carrots... In, or seeds into that plot of land. Who knows, we may get more out the next year or we may get less out the next year depending upon what we've done to the land in the first place. And so productivity growth, an example of productivity growth, would be what developing a new type of fertiliser that allows you to grow bigger carrots and therefore you can you either get more from consuming those carrots or you can sell them for a better price, that kind of thing? That kind of thing. And I suppose the, 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 the flip side is um, getting extra land and getting more carrots out of that extra land or working harder by putting in more hours and getting more carrots that way. That's not productivity growth. That's just working harder. Productivity growth is, as, as you said, say um, maybe uh, putting some effort into devising some some better fertiliser that may look after the land better or maybe some more management practices that look after the land better or maybe putting in some effort to devise some seeds that may, maybe it's not carrots that we're interested in, maybe it's something else that gives us um, better nutrition 
uh, out of that land, and so that's what we call productivity growth. So that old aphorism, aphorism rather, about um, work smarter, not harder, that really is what productivity is about, is figuring out how to work smarter so you don't have to work harder. Exactly, and, and, I, and I know many um, cringe at that saying, but it is so true. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem of why New Zealanders do turn off when they hear the word productivity, or many of them, because they believe it's about working harder. And my role is to communicate that it's not about working harder, it's about working smarter. And more importantly, it's not only working smarter, but getting the gains of that. And I think the part of the productivity challenge for New Zealand is, is to not only convince New Zealanders that productivity is important, but to convince New Zealanders that they indeed will get the gains from productivity. They won't be just siphoned off by a small proportion of the population, or indeed uh, let, let's get the elephant out of the room. It's not just for the business sector. Uh, many, uh, I think, in New Zealand unfortunately equate the words productivity with profitability. We've got to get past that. It's not about profitability. It is about well-being. The Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, the Developed Nations Club, has given New Zealand a solid report card for economic performance and backed its move to a well-being budget and policies. The group's Deputy Secretary-General, Vestergaard Knudsen, says the economy is performing well, but the government needs to tackle issues such as poor productivity, housing affordability and supply and water and climate change. It is about working smarter so that all of us can have better lives and enjoy ourselves a lot better. Why does productivity matter? Why is it good to have good productivity growth for normal people? Well, it is the way that we can unlock opportunities and it is a way for us to not only work smarter, but in, in the sense of working smarter, we enjoy our jobs more. There are better and, and, and indeed better paying jobs available to us and that enables us to have more choices in terms of uh, the income we get. We get more choices in terms of whether we actually do want to, have, like we may or may not like carrots, but maybe eat more or better or more nutritious uh, foods or even exercise out there, have more time for exercise. Uh, have more time for having fun, whether that's going to the cricket or going to Cuba Duper or all of those sorts of things um, are open to us if we get that productivity growth. If we don't get the productivity growth, we get stuck in a, a, a spiral downwards, unfortunately, a spiral of indeed trying to work harder, working harder for less pay, working harder for less opportunities. And indeed, if we don't uh, have that productivity growth. The people who hurt the most out of that situation are indeed those who are stuck at the wrong end of the spectrum, stuck in those minimum wage jobs, stuck in the, the 60 hours a week jobs with with very little opportunity to get out of that spiral. I think of it as being, you know, an hours in, hours out and dollars and cents kind of measurement or, or, or metric. But from your point of view, how is productivity measured? Well, it is measured, as you say. It is in a, a we convert the hours that we're putting in uh, into outputs and we convert those outputs and we usually measure them in dollars and cents, but we've got to adjust it for the change in value of those dollars and cents over time. But effectively, it is a measure of the number of things that we produce 
compared to the number of hours we've put in to produce those. So rather than dollars and cents, think of um, units of quantity of things like number of hospital operations we might be doing or number of, I I suppose, number of laptops we might have available to us or um, iPads or iPhones, those sorts of things. So it's actually things rather than the dollar value of them. Uh, because as we know the dollar value of them can be uh, infected by um, ongoing price changes. And so does that mean that even intangible things can be included in products? I'm thinking, for example, of you know a consultant giving advice to somebody that can still be sort of quantified even though it's just words and knowledge and, and ideas. Yes, you're right. And, and I think that's where we, uh, I won't say we reach the limits of our technical abilities, but statisticians and economists have put lots of effort into measuring those, I, I suppose, those services areas of our economy. Yeah, that must be one of the really interesting things about this kind of area, the transition, I guess, of New Zealand's economy to being a more services-based economy and how you do measure more intangible things and the accuracy with which you can kind of do that. It is, and that's and, uh, how do you value the knowledge and the experiences that are then being translated or imparted uh, to others? And um, I, I suppose it's similar to the the education um, sector, for example. We measure productivity in the education sector through various means, and some of them are probably not as appropriate as others. I mean, you could measure productivity by the number of teachers we put in front of students or the number of students that actually achieve at a certain level compared to the number of teacher hours we put in. But along those lines, it does become... It, it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, it's not as precise as we should be, and so that's where we we need to, I suppose, look at the, the trends that are happening in productivity and maybe the importance in the numbers is, is not the absolute number, but in comparing the numbers we get with those in other parts of the world or comparing them with previous years. So it's not the absolute number, but it's whether we're progressing in the right way or whether we're keeping up with others in other parts of the world that are, are more relevant than, than the absolute number. Our productivity growth has averaged just 1% in the last 10 years. And with Treasury's models still assuming we're sitting on 1.5% growth, we're going to run into some future problems. You know, I guess one of the issues is the productivity issue in New Zealand is not new. We've had lagging productivity now for decades. And so what we really need to do is to start thinking a bit more creatively about how we can actually identify solutions. New Zealand is bad at productivity. Is that true? Um, I... Th- <laughs> I wouldn't put it that bluntly, um, and I think we've have to, we have to put it in context. The productivity argument or the productivity history we've had compares with many other parts of the world. There has been a long-term decline in productivity growth over time, and that's in the Western or the developed economy world. And I think New Zealand has followed that down. A lot of reasons for that, but I don't think we should get too self-flagellating and and, and really talk ourselves into a downer. It's not that we're bad about productivity, it's just that it becomes even more and more challenging in this 21st century when we realise that our resource availability, the, the land that we've got, the climate we've got, the fact that we've got a natural resource based economy, we do rely on land and we do rely on the rain falling, many parts of our economy and, and, and realising that those things 
are becoming a lot more tenuous or a lot more strained. That just makes our productivity challenge a lot harder. I don't think that we get much out of telling New Zealanders that they're hopeless at productivity and it's going to get worse. I much prefer the it's an ongoing challenge. It's been with us for a long time. It's been with us for a good century, if not longer, of trying to get more and more out of the, the land that we've got, out of the endowment that we've been provided by previous generations. That's just part of the economic mechanism. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily suggesting that we're bad at productivity and we have to accept it and it's going to get worse. But it is, I mean, it is, is it a bit of an anomaly that our productivity growth has been as low over the past 20, 30 years as it has been? I mean, I was reading through a Treasury document. I think it described it as a paradox, because when you look at the policy levers that we had to pull, it was pretty close to best practice. Sure. Well, in theory, it should have, or some would say in theory, it should have. I, I, I'm familiar with that paradox um, quote, and uh, it's it depends on, I suppose, your perspectives on the policies that were put in over the last three or four decades. And, and I think that's, that's by the by, to be honest, because their productivity has declined, but it's actually declined in in a similar way to other parts of the world uh, in, in developed economies, I suppose there have, though, been some star performers in other parts of the world. Productivity in New Zealand is currently about the same as it is in Turkey. Um, you know, I think it's important to say that we're, you know, we're still a wealthier country than Turkey. Our average incomes are still higher than in Turkey. Um, but the reason for that is that we work more hours uh, per capita. And if you compare our productivity performance to that of the sort of more leading OECD economies, um, you know, we've sort of been, been keeping up, but there's a significant uh, gap there. I think we're about 40% less productive uh, than, say, the US. And I suppose the, the, the problem that New Zealanders see is why did we miss out? Because if you go back a few generations, and I know my parents always used to talk about the good old days way back in the 50s and 60s, and it's that yearning for when New Zealand was sort of at the top of the tree in terms of living standards and well-being, and we led the world across various indicators, and, and now we... Now we don't, and I, and I suppose there is a challenge out there. There are reasons why New Zealand hasn't done as well as we probably should have over the last three or four decades, and I, and I suppose it's important that we, we look at that record and we learn from it. We are by no means at the bottom of the heap, but we have slid down that ladder, and I suppose it's a bit of a ch- challenge and a bit of an aspiration for New Zealanders to let's get back up towards being, I suppose, the the beacon of the world rather than being in the middle of the pack. The growth of house prices presumably has made a lot of people much wealthier, but that's not an example of a productive industry, correct? Exactly. And, And I think that's where we as a nation have got to start understanding economic wealth rather than money wealth. And yes, we've got to detach our love affair with housing. Unfortunately, Yes, the price of your house doubles in 10 years or whatever the statistic might be. But what does it actually deliver? Does it actually deliver you a better house? Uh, The roof is still over your head. It's still, presumably it doesn't leak. Uh, It's still offering you a warm, dry home to raise your children, etc., maybe your grandchildren. It doesn't actually improve your well-being by investing even more and more dollars in the same stock of houses. New Zealanders selling houses to each other does not make us any more wealthy. It does not improve our well-being. New Zealanders investing in 
businesses or community enterprises or Māori and corporations that are invested in innovative ways of uh, looking after our land and our waterways, providing jobs for engineers and scientists to develop new robotic techniques so that we only have to work 25 hours a week instead of 50 hours a week. That's the, the improvements that we've got to be after. With those improvements, the increases in the value of your house don't deliver well-being to your children or your mokopuna. All they do is inflate, in paper terms, the value of your asset. They don't inflate the well-being coming out of your asset, unless, and this is where I will put the proviso, unless you're building a new house. That adds to your wealth, undoubtedly, because that enables more people to have roofs over their heads. But if you're just buying the same house over and over again between us, there's no way that delivers well-being or no way that delivers productivity for New Zealanders. Let's talk a bit about well-being. There is a certain tension, isn't there, between productivity and well-being. I guess one way that we could drastically improve productivity is by getting rid of all workplace safety rules that would probably increase productivity. It would also lead to people working brutal hours and probably dying on the job a lot more. But in pure numbers sense, that would improve productivity, right? Well, it might in the short term. Yeah. Uh, And I think that's the... the, the, Well, there's an element of... But I'll I'll, I'll concede that for argument's sake. (laughs) Sure, okay. Um, And and I think that's... Yeah, those sorts of examples are, are scary, but it does bring to home that productivity doesn't exist in isolation. Our economic parameters, our, our our rules, our rules for the way we do business, the way we employ people, they don't operate in isolation to our community values that we've got. And whether the rules are listed in legislation or it's, they are just part of the, the social licence to operate and, or the social contract, we, there are rules that we have, and, and yes productivity is important in those rules but then so is well-being and I I say uh, in terms of your example yes it might lift productivity in the short term but what does it do to productivity in the long term when you are continually asking your workers to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week Mm. Uh, what does it do to the level of their stress and their mental health and well-being if they are working those sorts of hours for relatively little return and then think about not just their well-being but think about how that impacts on their productivity in one or two years' time or over the long term. And so that's what I mean by productivity and well-being do go together. They've got to look at looked at together. And, and the other example is, in the, I suppose, in the natural resources or in the climate and, and land and water use scenario where you are extracting as much as you can out of that hectare of land to get as many carrots as you can every single year and then sooner or later that piece of land is going to degrade and sooner or later you're not going to get more and more carrots, you're going to get less and less. So yes, it might give you the illusion of productivity gains over the short term but I think if we go down that route it's not going to give you the productivity gains over the long term and it's definitely not going to deliver well-being. And I think that's part of that psyche about uh, 
we've got to leave well-being until we can afford it. I think that is drifting into the past because we are realising that economies and businesses and commercial entities don't operate in isolation or in silos or detached from the communities that we live in. And we realise that we do have to look after our people. We do have to look after that social licence to operate. And some businesses are finding that a little bit difficult and, and, and maybe... To be honest, those are the businesses that we don't really want in New Zealand. When it comes to, you know, what New Zealand's doing well and what New Zealand's doing badly, if you were writing Ganesh Nana's Hammurabi's Code kind of thing <laughs> for productivity, like, what, what sorts of statements would you come out that you think are undeniably true? Uh, well, I've already alluded to one of them, and that's that long-term focus. It's got to be long-term. But I think the other one is you mentioned the frontier firms, and that's the inquiry the Commission is um, just completing as we speak. What the research overseas shows us is that actually getting the performance of our top firms right is actually especially important because they're the ones who tend to adopt the, the newest technologies and the new business practices. So we want to make sure that they're doing as well as they can and see what lessons we can learn from them. But underlying that is um, the reason we need frontier firms is because New Zealand needs to export. Uh, without getting too technical, we need to earn foreign currency and that's not because I want to be rich but that's because we need to be able to access those things that we can't produce here in New Zealand. So whether it be the the X-ray machines from other parts of the world that are going to help us with our operations in all the hospitals or whether it's other gadgets or technology that we don't have here. I mean, some of the health tech stuff we are producing here in New Zealand. But we always have to export and we always have to earn foreign currency and that's always been my maxim. To do that, we need frontier firms and one of the problems that we have in New Zealand is we don't have many big frontier firms that are out there taking on the world head on. We've got some good ones, yes we have some, but we need to have a lot more if we are going to get, I suppose, back towards those opportunities that I know many in my generation took for granted. That's it for today, thanks for listening, I'm Emil Donovan. The detail comes to you from newsroom.co.nz and is made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify or any other podcast platform and you'll get a fresh episode automatically downloaded to your mobile device every weekday morning. If you enjoy our work, leave us a rating. That helps other people find us too. Alexia Russell produced this episode, which was engineered by Jeremy Ansell. And thanks to Dr Ganesh Nana. Kia pai tora. Kia pai tora.